shaking and disturbed. We're working everyone. out. We're, we're working, working out. out. We're doing our aerobics uh, and our right. exercise. But uh, welcome to Shaking and Disturbed, everyone. I am Darren Carp here with my lovely co-host John Thrasher. How you doing, Hello. Johnny Boy? Um, oh, I'm well. I will say that little. If, if you're watching us on our um, video podcast on as a sussy radish on Patreon, which if you're not, you need to sign up in the show notes. Um, you know, we're doing like a fun little jazzercise, and we I are. will say it kind of felt nice because. You know, we've both been sitting here uh, podcasting for the last hour on we recorded a couple shows, you guys. And um, yeah, feels good to get the blood flowing before feels we start good to get the blood episode. flowing. I'm in a new uh, I'm having the, right. I'm having nice. I'm not backlit. I'm getting the full window view right now. So for those right. who are watching on Patreon, welcome to my guest bedroom. I really there this is, is where John this is John's room right here. That's right. This, this is, is where I stayed. If you listen to room. um the Patreon NMR episode that just went up uh, recently, you know, I described that that's where I slept when I stayed there. And um, that bed is pretty comfortable, Darren, uh, behind you to your right there. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. Well, um, I want to get right into this week's case because I know you guys come here to listen to some murder stories. But uh, I wanted <laughs> to remind you, for those who don't listen to NMR, that yeah. John and I will be covering the curious <gasps> case of Natalia Grace Either next week, depending on if John can fucking get his act together and watch the full six episodes, which let's be frank, if you've been listening you to know us me for the so past well. five or six years, we could be do we could be delivering this in eight months. I don't it's know. So this is this is well wishes. This is like I don't mm. even know. I think I can uh, make it happen though. I think you can make it happen. It's on Max right now, six episodes. I highly encourage everyone to watch it because I would really like this to be a discussion in some sort of way. And I think yeah. that that. I think it kind of requires that because there's so many questions, yeah. not a lot of answers. There's a lot of missteps. There's a lot of this. There's a lot of that. So definitely listen to it. You want well, me to give the log line? Just kind of? a little log line about the very basics, because I think it would really pique a lot of pe people's interest. And we really would love if you guys watched it ahead of time so that once we do the episode, you'll know what we're talking about. We because we really it will that. be hard to follow because it does jump yeah. around a lot. But essentially... It, the curious case of Natalia Grace. Natalia Grace is a, she's a little person and she mm -hmm. has, on top of being a little person, she has a, I want to say it's a genetic disorder, but I don't yes. know if it's genetic. But I she looked has, it up, yes. Okay, so she has a genetic disorder. There's a very long name. I think we can shorten it to like SDC or S something like that. Something e like that. EC or something, yeah. Something like that. Um, I just don't want to get the name wrong. I'm not. Sure. And I think only about 3,500 people in the world have this. Mm -hmm. And she was adopted from Ukraine. By the way, she, it's called, I have it right here. Yeah. Now I'm going to really butcher I know, it's this. a hard one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spondyloepiphyseal dysplasia congenita, also known as SEDC. SEDC. Okay, mm -hmm. so SEDC. And she's an orphan. From, well, no, she's not really an orphan. She does have a family, but she gets adopted by, by, an, American by an American family twice, but the main family that we're going to talk about the father and mm. the son, because this family also has three boys is mm. featured in the doc. We don't okay. get to hear from the adoptive mother. You will find out why, but uh, gets adopted by this family. And they think it's, you know, she's a six year old girl. They kind of have the means and the wherewithal to help. You said adopt. six, right? She's six. Okay. Uh, and something happens. I don't want to give too much of this don't away, too much, but yeah, um, that, shows that maybe she's not six years old. And so at any given point in time in the stock, she's either six years old or she's like 22. And that's all you need to know. 
And um, that's kind of all you need to know. She's also potentially a sociopath. She <laughs> potentially tries to kill her parents, although dear. it's unclear if that even happens. You guys have to watch this. Yeah. And apparently Natalia Grace is coming out with her own special. I don't know if it's later in the year that's going to air on Discovery ID. That's okay. kind of like her side of the story because we don't hear from her. She also gave a Dr. Phil interview. Yeah. So you might want to watch that as well. Apparently that's very telling. It is a it is truly a curious, curious case. And spoiler alert, Natalia Grace, we later learn, is actually Nancy Grace. So, you know, you got to look out. Just kidding. That's not true. But just in case. She's Optimus Prime. We don't know. <clears throat> she's like, Optimus there's, there's Prime. Just a, she's Optimus Prime. Well, and I want to say before uh, we yeah. get into the episode two is that Darren and, you know, look, Darren and I have talked, oh my God, are we at a thousand episodes of true crime yet? We probably Maybe. are getting close, but, you know, and Darren's, you know, texted me several times over the last 10 plus years, however long we've been friends. She seemed pretty passionate about this one, you guys. So I really yeah. think there's something interesting in this one. The Curious Case of Natalia Grace, which, and this is not a plug, by the way. This is not, they're not nope. asking us to do this. No. Nope. Um, they have not paid us to do this. It's just Darren is so fascinated by it that we want to talk about it. So go watch it. It's on Max, uh, which used to be HBO Max. Yep. And um, yeah, we'll talk it's about it in episodes. a few weeks. Probably also, next week, but probably. Hopefully next weeks. week. It's a holiday, John. That's right. So That's like, right. get right. your shit together. And by the way, if you're listening to this on Sunday, happy early 4th of July. If you're That's traveling, right. I hope safe travels. I know a lot of flights have been canceled, but yeah. we just want to say happy 4th weekend if you're in the United States. Uh, and if you're not, don't listen to us and it doesn't really matter. There you go. And on that note, we can well, move listen right. listen to us. It just don't listen to that thing <laughs> because it doesn't matter about the 4th. I don't want to tell you not to listen to us. Yeah, let's not do that. Let's, let's be clear. All right. Let's be clear. All right, let's be clear. Let's move into today's episode. And it's an interesting one. It might make some of you guys pretty annoyed. On Tuesday, November 29th, 1988, little Darren is only six months, six old. months old at that point. Six months and five days old at this point. That's right. Uh, a 74-year-old resident of Rochester, New York, named Viola Manvillo, uh, I hope I'm saying that right, was taking her daily walk as as many 74 year olds do to keep it keep their blood flowing just like we that's were doing at do. the top yeah. of the show yeah that's right um on this afternoon her excursion brought her across an old abandoned railroad bed and while she ambled along alone viola was ambushed her attacker used a bb gun to wow. fire two shots into her skull bludgeoned her to death using a railroad tie then dragged her off the path and into the plants on the shoulder of the road. Now, Jesus. I don't really think we've horrible. ever really covered a BB gun attack. I've never, I don't think we have, no. And you think BB guns are kind of like harmless, but when they're used along with a railroad tie and, and things of that nature, you know, well, they're a little I'm more thinking, effective. I never really, I never had a BB gun, but like if you shoot a BB gun at a person, Right. It will hurt them, right? Yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, it definitely would break the skin. I don't think it's going to like puncture the way a bullet would by any means, but yeah. it also depends on how close you are, I, I suppose. That's true. I will say this, you know, recently in April or March or April, was it this year? No, I'm sorry. This was like back in September, October. I'm sorry. Um, I was on a bike ride and the bike path near my house is along a railroad, uh, an abandoned railroad track. Um, I'm sorry, not even abandoned. It's a real railroad track. It's it's literally uh, parallel to the path. And I was like going up this hill and 
you know, I was like pretty far away from like civilization at that point because the path goes so far off of it. And like, I went up through, you guys might've seen this on my social media. I got to a point where like, I had to go through a tunnel, like a train tunnel. And I thought, you know, if you, and this is because I'm a true crime podcaster. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, if you really wanted to murder somebody or even just rob somebody or just cause chaos, it's the way to do it. Somebody would know that that's the place to do it because there's a bike path where bikers go through very often. And, you know, at that stage where I was, you probably couldn't even really hear me scream. So like, you know, all I'm saying, the point is that I'm trying to connect here is that if you are off the beaten path or on a railroad path, like, like Viola here was, just be mindful to like stay on the phone with somebody or yeah. know that, you know, you're going to be isolated and away from a lot of people. And I was even thinking about it regarding animals too. You know, like what if a bear or a coyote comes running down out of the thing? I'm like, totally. you know, so anyway, that's my little spiel. I just want to mention that. So anyway, unfortunately, Viola was dragged, as we said, into the paths, or I'm sorry, into the plants off of the shoulder of the road. And once concealed by the overgrowth, her attacker then ripped Viola's jacket open, exposing her breasts, and removed all of her clothing from the waist down. Now, this woman, by the way, is 74 years old. Mm. Later in the afternoon, some hunters discovered her body in this state. Police were at a loss as to who could commit such a heinous attack on an elderly woman. Their confusion deepened as they investigated the crime scene and turned up very little, little evidence to point them towards the person responsible. I mean, as far as they can tell, it's just somebody's body and, you know, in the overgrowth, which is really sad. This is so stand by me. It does feel like that, doesn't the it? Railroad yeah. tracks, the railroad tracks. The railroad, yeah. The guy yeah, gets yeah. murdered. Yeah, yeah. I hate that. I hate that. Well, he doesn't get murdered. I think he, like, Ray Brower gets, like, I think hit by the train and dies. Right. But still, there's, like, that yeah. element of true crime. Well, with seemingly no viable leads with which to begin their investigation, authorities began looking into anyone who had any sort of connection to Viola. Because at this point, they're starting from scratch. Like, they don't know anything. They have, you know, it's 1988. They can't be dusting for fingerprints and, and, you know, in the outside like that. But, of course, their search turned up um, a potentially viable lead almost immediately. This was not the first time that Viola had been a victim of a serious crime, actually. There was already a man named Glenn Sterling in prison on attempted sexual assault charges against her. Why doesn't everyone just leave Viola Whoa. alone? My God. Right. Like, what? Uh, what is up with that? Yeah. Um, is it Viola? Listen, Viola, I, I'm saying we're thinking Viola Davis, but we're also thinking the instrument is a viola. Viola, yeah. So, so I'm going with viola, say. but who knows? You can go with whatever you prefer, Darren. But, you know, what's interesting to me that you're saying is Glenn Sterling is already in prison. So I'm curious if it was like one of his cronies or something who's doing Mm. this. But the attack, so the attack that Glenn Sterling is in prison for had occurred three years prior to Viola's death in 1988. And while Glenn himself couldn't possibly be a suspect because he was in prison after all, like I was saying, police became suspicious of Glenn's younger brother, Frank. Mm -hmm. You know, you never really know. And listen, people in prison, despite them being behind bars have tremendous influence. Like (laughs) it's true. That's all I'm saying. Well, 25 year old Frank seemed eager to eliminate himself from the suspect list. He agreed to undergo police questioning on several different occasions. And each time vehemently denied any involvement in uh, Viola's murder. 
I do think it's good that he's kind of willing to go under police questioning. I think it's always a good sign when people cooperating on the other side of that. You know, it's like people who go on reality shows who have so many skeletons in their closet. It's like they're trying to hide in plain sight. And like the truth, the truth is always going to come out. So let's kind of see how this place, this case plays out. But Frank was employed as a bus attendant, a role that involves making sure passengers are seated safely and obeying the transit rules as they ride to their destinations. And at the time of the murder, which was noon on a Tuesday, Frank was at work. Pretty solid alibi. Yeah, I was going to say that kind of an alibi seems pretty solid you can't really you know unless you're faking your time card which definitely is something that has happened and there'd be witnesses yeah too. there'd be witnesses there'd be a schedule you doesn't have to... necessarily mean he's not involved in it there we but go. he didn't do it let's see how it plays out. yeah, yeah. well Several of his co-workers openly vouched for his presence at this shift, during which time he likely came into contact with numerous passengers. So it seems almost like an airtight alibi here. And law enforcement accepted the seemingly reasonable alibi. Without any further leads, the case just went cold. And we should mention, too, if you don't mind me just interrupting briefly, 1988, there weren't cameras in everyone's pockets like there are now. Mm-hmm. You know, not as easy to corroborate the alibi, even though there are co-workers here saying that they can or DNA evidence or anything right. like that. Like, we don't really know what the body looked like. But right. three years later, after this, in 1991, the sheriff's office began revisiting stalled cases and formed a new task force in the hopes of finally bringing Viola's killer to justice. They always kind of wonder what sparks that. Yeah, so I know. Just, We've like, talked about this so much. Revisiting a stalled case. I kind of yeah. just like, and thank God for that, because I think the families deserve justice. I think Viola mm-hmm. deserves justice, but just curious about that. Well, but, and it's like, if it's just police discretion, then it's like, well, what are they, you know, what, like to your point, it's like, what are they, what's the filter here? I know, I know that there, there are some cases where the police department's if there is DNA evidence that they know still exists, then they will take that case and try to make that a thing. But otherwise, you don't really know. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And when they reopen this case, once again, police zero in on Frank, who seemed to have a pretty airtight alibi with witnesses. He's the, But he is the person closest to the woman's first assailant. So he kind of has to be a starting point because otherwise they really don't know where to start with this. And now Frank was employed, because it's three years later, as a trucker. Mm -hmm. And upon learning this, police waited until an afternoon when Frank had just returned home from a job. It'd been a long drive, and he'd been his vehicle for 36 hours. Wow. And when they approached Frank to ask him for yet another interview, three years later, he agreed to accompany them to the police station and answer questions. I'm sorry, but like good on Frank, because after 36 hours of being in the car, I would be the most ornery person alive. Oh, my God, yeah. Well, the interrogation that began in the afternoon continued into the evening and even early into the following morning. He has to be dog tired. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And maybe that's a tactic, by the way. I want to make. Yes. Yeah. I want to make a quick correction. I had originally said that her name was Viola Manvillu. It's actually Viola Manville. There was oh. a W added to the end of the word. Oh, Lord. We'll have to talk to Megan about that one. You know what I mean? At the end of, of the episode. But nonetheless, throughout this conversation that we were just, that Darren was just setting up here, Frank was adamant that he had nothing to do with Viola's death. Yet officers persisted using increasing, using increasingly inappropriate and suggestive methods of obtaining a confession. 
So police showed Frank graphic photos of the crime scene and Viola's body described her remains in detail, laid him on the floor with his feet propped up on a chair, and finally were even rubbing his back while repeatedly uh, he was insisting that he, excuse me, repeatedly insisting that he was guilty. So they were really trying to, you know, get him in the perfect, most comfortable scenario for him to just relax and hang out and, you know, admit to this murder, essentially. So all the while, police assured Frank that they were in his corner and that Viola had, quote, deserved what she got, which is an mm. interesting, you know, tactic. Well, there, they do want to, like, befriend the guy, you right. know, see what he's going to come up with. Yes, totally. Um, and after eight hours of interrogation, which was following that 36 hours, uh, Frank was exhausted and physically shaking, as you can imagine. I mean, this is not necessarily torture, but it's a physical kind of tactic to try to physically get him to just relent. And, you know, listen, the ethics behind that we can discuss another time. But anyway, finally, he gave in and he told police, quote, I did it. I need help. End quote. This does feel like a confession under duress, but let's mm-hmm. see. Officers leapt on this, of course, insisting Frank provide a videotaped confession, and Frank agreed and provided and confessed again on tape. Unsurprisingly, his confession included a significant amount of incorrect information. He was unable to provide a location for the crime, even when given a map. Mm. That's a red kind flag. Of, yeah, you can kind of see where this story's going, I think, at this stage, you know, like, we're are, are we looking like a making a murder situation yes, here, potentially Brandon Dassey situation. Yeah. And he was unable to tell police how many times the victim had been shot, the location of her wounds, or provide any details about the murder weapon, which was, of course, as we mentioned at the top of the show, a BB gun, which is pretty distinctive. It's very different from right, any I feel other like weapon. Even on the cases that we've covered, I've known that we haven't really covered something that had to do with a BB gun. So. Right, exactly. Well, furthermore, Frank recanted his confession almost immediately, Uh, and he was arrested at the police station and charged with Viola's murder. So he recanted the confession, um, but was still arrested based on the information that he was basically forced to to say in order to relieve himself from the physical torture. They want to solve this case. They want to tell the community they solve. Right, they solve this case. Yeah. And at trial, the prosecution presented the recanted confession tape as evidence against Frank, but had little else to sort of demonstrate any sort of connection whatsoever between the young man and the crime. I mean, Mm. that's just a confession still doesn't really mean anything, considering he did have a really good alibi. And although the defense objected to the inclusion of the tape, the judge allowed it to be presented as evidence, which, of course, appeared pretty damning to Mm -hmm. jurors. Once you hear someone did it, it's hard to unsee them doing it. You know, the jury took two full days to consider the case, pausing on numerous occasions to ask for additional instruction from the court about how to weigh the confession amongst themselves. Yeah. And eventually the members reached an agreement and found Frank guilty of second degree murder on September 29th, 1992. And after the verdict was read, but prior to his sentencing, Frank's attorney learned of another suspect for the crime, 20-year-old Mark Christie. I'm curious, like, how this kind of happens. Although he had been questioned by police, Mark gave them an alibi and was quickly ruled out. So had Frank. Right. Yeah. What's the difference here? Exactly. However, he was later heard bragging to numerous friends about having committed the murder and giving police a false alibi. Did they not check on this alibi? Like, Yeah, what's, yeah, and what, uh, yeah. 
the police are the interesting. The police are very interesting on this week's episode. Let's just put it that way, I guess. Yeah, they're interesting on every week's episode. Right. But the, the defense team alerted the judge immediately to the presence of a more likely suspect than Frank. Although the sources about Mark seemed pretty credible, court the, the court dismissed the idea that he might be involved. How? Or that the testimony of his friends might indicate Frank's innocence to the jury. I just like, how can you just discount that? I it's don't like, know. we're tired, we're done, we just want to be done with it. I mean, literally, that might be it, yeah. And what's worse, instead, the court proceeded to sentence Frank to 25 years in prison for Viola's killing. Mark Christie was also sent to prison two years later for the murder of a four-year-old girl. And perhaps that four-year-old girl would be alive if the court had fucking heard it. Well, now we're also seeing not necessarily a pattern, but that Mark Christie is capable. Right. Once again, the defense presented this as evidence of a significantly increased likelihood of Mark's guilt. And Frank's complete lack of involvement, their insistence continued, but it obviously fell on deaf ears because now they don't want to seem like they got something wrong either. Like it's also a matter of their reputation for a lot of this stuff. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I'm also thinking, too, about those jurors. It's like, I wonder how much they know about the car ride Right. Uh, the tour, you know, the, they the probably rubbing don't. of shoulders. They probably don't, because I doubt that anyone's able to get that into the actual trial here. Well, years later, it wasn't until 2004 when Frank's defense team was finally able to seek help from a new source. Further investigation of Viola's clothing uh, turned up a previously unseen piece of evidence, which was a strand of hair uh, in with her clothing. Huh. The team had the strand privately tested, but it turned out to belong to Viola herself. Mm. Now, two years later, the Innocence Project, which we love, uh, took up the case and encouraged the legal team to have even more private DNA testing conducted. Okay. I'm assuming, now I'm no expert, we know people in this field, I'm assuming private uh, testing sort of gives you a little bit more... um, assurance i guess you could say that they weren't botching the potential testing well, because they don't have all they're trying to do is tell you the results as opposed to sometimes that are mi- mixed with government right. and government's going to be persuaded to I you know pretend true. like they always made the right choice yeah i think that's true and this time the objects retested included viola's clothing and the labs were testing for touch dna um, left behind by perps whose skin cells and sweat remain on the evidence after the commission of a wow. crime. Now, in 1988, touch DNA wasn't really a thing at all. Um, that has really only come to light in the last 20 years. And in fact, it's getting even even better in the last few years, of we, as we've heard several times on this show. So touch DNA, that's sort of looking at skin cells and sweat. So they're able to really kind of track down and hone down uh, hone in on rather. Uh, yeah, I didn't even know be. that sweat would have maintained. Me either. Stayed I didn't there either. Years yeah. later, so that's cool. Well, DNA turned up in two separate areas of Viola's clothing, the places her killer would have grabbed her as he dragged her into the bushes on the side of the road. This DNA conclusively showed that Frank was not the person who grabbed Viola in her last moments of her life. There was almost no doubt, based on the DNA. Uh, evidence that the DNA belonged to Mark Christie. And in spite of this overwhelming mountain of evidence that Frank had nothing to do with Viola's death, he remained locked in prison for another four 
years. This is the problem. This is why I love the Innocence Project, because the government is never held accountable for that four-year-old girl's life who was killed because they didn't fucking listen to the prosecution, let alone four-plus years of Frank's life. He didn't do anything. His brother had done something, but he had never done anything. Like. it's wild. The lives that people that the government has ruined because of this, they I never know. have to be held accountable for it. It's and horrible. in January of 2010, Mark confessed to the murder to an attorney working with the Innocence Project. He then confessed a second time, four months later in April. Finally, <laughs> finally, finally, on April 28th, the court dismissed charges against oh. Frank. Frank was now 47 years old and had spent close to almost 20 years in prison for a crime he had never committed. The following year, Mark pled guilty to the murder in court and was sentenced to just 28 years in prison. No big deal. And Mark passed away in June of 2017, still in prison. In 2014, Frank received the payout from a wrongful conviction suit against the government, $8.2 million for Monroe County, plus an additional 2.1 from the state of New York. So he got to walk away with $10.3 million for 20 years of his life. I'm not sure that was worth it for him, but at least he gets something. Now, it is a large sum. Not sure how we're going to measure this time here, like I said. (laughs) Right. Because it has to be torture. Because it's not just being in prison and out of prison. It's also... What did you experience in prison? Yeah. How is how are you going to adjust to a life 20 years? And you're missing technology, you're missing everything. And 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 not to mention the family that also right. suffers through all of this. Yeah. Well, after his well-deserved payout, Frank moved to South Carolina and even got engaged. Well, good for him. Sadly, though, he mm. suffered a heart attack only six years after his release and passed away at the age of 53. Wow. After spending nearly his entire life in prison. It's such a tragic uh, innocence project case because this is why the innocence project exists. Yeah, this is why it exists. And, you know, this was another case. I think about the Adnan Syed case here, too, in a sense, because once again, there's no DNA and no evidence that is pointing to this person's involvement with the case. It's just absolutely silly. And yeah, Darren, I'm glad that you did mention that four year old because I feel like in a case like this, that four-year-old can get Could still be alive. Yeah, not only really still be alive, but get very lost in in the details of this case because of the exonerate or you know the yeah I guess an exoneration here. Whereas like you know that not only that little girl but that whole family you know is dealing with the the prosecution really messing this up. Yeah, and it's really disturbing and, and unsettling. And you know our hearts go out to all the family members involved with the people that are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just another life kind of ruined. But let us know what you guys think at Carpe Darren at J Thrasher. And remember to watch the curious case of Natalia Grace because we will be talking about in the coming episode. I wanted to end on a more positive note, at least with some (laughs) listener shout outs. Our lovely listener Kylie took to the Facebook group to air her grievances. This is a festivist episode in a playful way (laughs) about an episode issue. John, she said, quote, what is happening to your most recent episode? Did John slow y'all down to 80% speed when when editing, excuse me, or has John Thrasher been heavily drinking? I don't want to call him out, but obviously Mm, it's the latter. A couple minutes in the episode, and I'm like, John is speaking in cursive. (laughs) Then Darren asks him what he's drinking, and I'm like, oh, good, she hears it too. But Diet Coke, does anyone hear it, or am I the only one? And it turns out. It turns out. That Kylie later realized <laughs> she had her app playing at 75% speed. Oops. Yep. Oops. But I, the big thing for me with this note, Kylie, 
was that you thought John was like so slowed down. I talk so I, fast that I sound normal. Yeah, you slowing do, yeah. me down at 75% speed. <laughs> I just thought this was so funny. Kylie, so thank funny. you for sending that in. I, Darren, I want to play a little bit of that episode at 75% speed Please. so you can hear exactly what it sounded like. So I'm going to put my phone up to the to the microphone. Here we go. But patrons lined up around the block to see what was said to be the scariest movie ever made, like Darren was just saying for the time. The supernatural horror. By the way, could you imagine? This is like sitting in traffic. The genre, which we just kind of walked through a little bit as well. It's just like being stuck in quicksand and I can't get out of it. Yeah, like that's horrendous. Let me try to find a little bit of you, Darren. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Which is really horrible. The community was outraged and rightfully fearful as they felt the police were quick to dismiss. <laughs> I, the crime. I I can't even listen to myself. Once it that was slow. determined the victims were all gay. It, I can't. We kind of see this even nowadays. You know, it's just. Could you imagine? By the way, I love that she instead thinking there's something wrong with um the episode that she just thought I was drunk, which I appreciate. Right, but I was um, totally normal. That's you were totally so normal. Crazy. That's weird. That yeah. is weird. Um, well, thank you, Kylie. And we're glad that you got your technology fix and are enjoying our episode. Um, yes. At, at such a good, um, at a hundred percent. Um, I have to give a huge shout out to my cousin, Lydia. I had mentioned this on a recent episode of NMR on Patreon and her brand new husband, Chris, I got to go to the right out of the box. Never been used before this that's, brand new husband. That's right. That's true. Um, I got to go to their wedding over the weekend and it was just picture perfect, Darren, in every way. It was perfect weather. It was downpouring all day until the wedding. And then it was uh, beautiful. Uh, the skies open. We even saw a rainbow. I'm like, how much more perfect can this wedding be? Um, you know, and they have a new blended family and it was just so beautiful and a lovely uh, to experience. So here's to a lifetime of love and being each other's partners in crimes, you guys. Oh, I Darren, love that. Yeah, she's a big fan of you as well. Oh, I have to mention... Hi, Lydia. Congratulations. And I have to mention, I had not met Chris before the wedding. And I walked up to him and I gave him a big hug. And I was like, it's so nice to meet you. And he goes, it's so nice to finally put your face to the voice. Lydia plays your podcast all through our house constantly. I and love that. Yeah, I was like, oh, I love that we're part of your family in a sense. Well, shout so. out to brand new husband, Chris, there and to go. Lydia. I- there you go. Lifetime of happiness. Congratulations. And guys, you can join us on Patreon. We can get all kinds of bonus content, including ad-free episodes in video form. You can see that I, I am literally yeah, fading. Yeah, you are fading away. Like, look at this. Like, you're going to, like, not see my hands in a moment. And it's you just kind gonna... of look like, um, I don't know, like, you're just almost like a tiny. Yeah. The, oh, that's actually very scary. Wait, do that again. Darren's, like, jumping to the camera for you guys. It's okay. Doesn't all it right. look like a scary, like. Yeah, it's like the the cinematography is like gorgeous. Yes, the chiaroscuro. Um, yeah. That's right. You can see every single full episode recording right on Patreon. And you want to see my hands in the light? Mm-hmm. Okay. Darren's hands giving you dark. guys full puppeteering Hands in the light? Here. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. There we go. Cool. Uh, cool. You can also, on Patreon, weigh in on real things that are affecting the show. Recently, we had asked Patreon subscribers if they want more guests on the show, because typically we heard that you guys kind of just like us for us. But 57% of our Patreon subscribers said yes. Yeah. So even 50%, that's pretty significant. So listen, 57% wins. We're doing as told, and we're going to have some guests on some future episodes. I'll tell you, Darren, you don't even know this. 
I've reached out to some pretty well-known people already oh. regard oh. in, tr- in the true crime world. And um, we'll have to see if they agree to come on the show, but be on the lookout for that. Uh, we will be doing that in the future. That's great. And also we have to, well, we have to make fun of Megan because she, you know, she messed up that W at the end. W like, at the end. That's, that she? might be strike number one. That, that, yeah, yeah. Like Megan, you're in thin ice there, That's buddy. Right. Uh, but we just wanted to say we love you. And one, two, three. Thanks, Thanks Megan. Megan. We love you guys. Have a happy 4th of July. Check your and of freshies. Course, yes. Check your brake pads without pants. And apparently you don't need a penis. There you go. Happy right. 4th if you're in America. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. You're really actually scary. I know.